Riley is the cutest dad as when Rowan was fussing earlier tonight. He went down and his after like trying to give him the binky and rubbing his belly, I look at the camera and he's just like hugging him and Rowan's playing with his hair and his shirt and like slowing down. It was really cute. That's adorable. Watching people struggle with ADD is fun. Okay, love, you know what? Wow. Can we remove him? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Craig, kick him out. I think you could do that. <laughs> ADD um, is an outdated term. It's ADHD now, Levi. Yeah. Get up to date with my <laughs> mental illness. You lose your train of thought there. Shut up, <laughs> baby. <laughs> um, my thing is that Dutch Bros is significantly better than Starbucks, and you can fight me if you disagree. Yeah, no, that's true. I don't think anyone here specifically will fight me, but like listeners can fight me. Yeah. All right. Oh, is it me? Yeah. Were you about to skip past Riley? She was gonna skip past me. She was just gonna skip right past you. No, I was I was trying to cue him in. I was gonna be like, all right, Riley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't talk to me about romance. I had a three-way in hot in a hot air balloon. Oh, better. All right, we're just gonna move past that. So does that happen during the hot air balloon episode? No, then it would have been like a six-way. Well, yeah, that's why I'm confused. This is before. Yeah. Uh. Hi, I'm Nikki. I'm Levi. I'm Alyssa. I'm Riley. And this this is Rogue Rogue Ramblings, a podcast featuring controversial topics, interesting ideas, and random nonsense. (laughs) Oh. It won't let me stop. Alyssa. Okay. No one else has a turn, so I'm going to go ahead. Just make I get two turns. Making that really clear. Did you know you can make napalm out of dish soap and common cat food? Okay. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Nikki, and I am once again leading the charge on this. Three weeks in a row. I feel so special. Oh, um, gosh, I guess it has been three weeks in a row. Yeah, because I hijacked yours. Uh, today, we're going to talk about physician-assisted suicide And I didn't do a lot of research on this. Um, I want it to be more of an emotional debate rather than like an actual logical, factual-based debate. Mm -hmm. Like ours Uh, usually are so factual. So factual and logical. And not not ever emotional. Sometimes we try. Um, But if if people do want to look into it, there is a specific website based on... uh, it's like the they're lobbying for there to be laws in place so that physicians can help with assisted suicide, um, and that is deathwithdignity.org. Um, so basically what physician-assisted suicide is is uh, when someone is terminally ill, they can choose to have a doctor help them kill themselves basically either by writing a prescription or administering the medicine usually it's just a prescription but 
they can also, if they're like in a hospital situation, do that themselves. And then that way they can go out on their own time rather than losing all factors. Uh, fact, what is it called? You know, with, without losing your dignity. Um, yeah. There are, so a little bit of facts, because I did actually look it up <laughs> a little bit. But there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Nikki can count to ten, you guys. Wow. Ten states which have death with dignity laws. So that's in support of physician-assisted suicide. Um, and yeah, at least from my understanding, or eight states in Washington D.C. Yeah. So, and those states are California, Colorado, Hawaii, Maine, New Jersey, New Mexico, Oregon. Do the song. No. (laughs) Do the song. song. No, I know a state song, so I can name all the states, but it doesn't work like that, right? It sounded a lot like you were doing it for a second. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I want to get kind of your guys' opinions on that and when it should be allowed. Um... Should it always be allowed? What kind of parameters should they have in place, et cetera? Would you ever use it too? But we'll start with the basic. What do you guys think of just a general, a physician can help you kill yourself if you have a terminal illness? I think it's cool because I don't think you should be forced to be alive if you don't want to be. I feel like lots of people have the, I mean, like, I guess technically, everyone just about has the option to kill yourself at any time. But like, I think that having a humane way of doing it, if you don't want to live anymore, isn't a bad thing. Well, it's literally illegal to kill yourself. Yeah. What are they going to do? Put you in jail? Like <laughs> it can't stop they you. Can put you in jail for attempted. But they never do. Jail, I guess I did for a, probably like a, uh, mental. yeah, mental facility. Yeah, but I don't know. I mean, I think, like, it's your right to choose if you want to live or die. Are we talking about specific terminal illness? Because that's what you just said. Yeah, I'm talking about specifically with terminal illnesses. Yeah, then I don't think, I don't know anyone has a problem with that. A lot of places do, actually. Um, their doctors are, it's it's a concern in the doctor world because... They can be charged with like manslaughter or um, other like murder charges, basically. If it's legal? No, I think it's it's not legal, but currently that's part of why it's an issue. Well, I understand the law, but like, I don't, I've never met anyone that's like against it. Yeah. Obviously, they shouldn't be giving it out if it's illegal. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, can you guys think of any reasons why? it wouldn't be okay. Cause it seems like everyone's kind of on the same page that with terminal illnesses, it should be allowed. I don't know. I think if you're in your right mind, it should be accessible to anyone. Okay. What if so, you, what if you have like three years to live? It's a terminal illness or, you know, one of those that's really slow. Mm-hmm. So it's a terminal illness. Eventually you'll succumb to it. I'm giving an example. So if you have an illness that's going to eventually kill you, but you have possible two decades, can you go to a doctor and get a prescription and say, I want to die right now? 
because I don't want to have any chance of that. Like I said, I think it should be accessible to anyone because I think if you don't like if you're in like solid mind and it's not like, you know, like you are, I don't know. Like, I think you should be seen and like made sure that you're not just like feeling suicidal or like depressed. And like, there's other things that you can do to help yourself. But I think like, if you're of sound mind and not like suffering from something like a clinical depression or something like that, and you don't want to be alive anymore, I don't know why you can't, you know, like <laughs> go about it in a more humane way in order to not be, because it's like, I don't know. It's not my right to tell you that you have to be here. Like no one asked to be born. And I don't think it's fair to tell people that they can't die. So doctor, I have a case of the I'm alive's. <laughs> probably die and immediately to 75 years <laughs> could happen at any time I don't know I feel like medical professionals they get into the profession for two reasons money or to actually help people mm -hmm. and for those that are in it for money that might not be such a big deal but for those that come to it to help people telling them that it's now legally part of their job description to intentionally kill people they don't have to do it. Doctor never is forced to give a prescription to anyone. All right. Well, maybe just put the guy on the list that's volunteering to kill people. <laughs> the yeah, the, the one that wants to get rich. You can just get, send him to him. He wears a black robe. <laughs> Medical it's gun. A, it's got a hood. It's very um, ominous. But what about the idea that... Hello, I'm the harmacist. <laughs> what about the idea that, you know, you have a prognosis... Um, and it's, you know, it could be seven months, it could be 10 years. They aren't really sure, but when it starts rapidly, you'll see it. And there's a chance that in that 10 years, they could find a cure for whatever it is. I mean, I, it's still up to that person. I mean, most doctors, <laughs> I don't think there's a single doctor that if you go in and be like, uh, I could die in seven months to ten years. Give me a prescription to kill myself. They're so gonna be like, okay. I think they'll be like, how about we like talk this through? And then they might like suggest counseling or like something yeah. to talk to. Well, like, they're just gonna like willy nilly be like, I bet. <laughs> well, and currently the states with the death with dignity, they um, they have quite a strict regimen of things you have to go through. Yeah. I'm just kind of picking your brain when, when you think it's okay. Like, could they, if a doctor was going to say, all right, yeah, let's do it. Do you think that's appropriate? Not if he says it like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. My personal thing is like, I, like I said, I think that there should be some form of screening. I don't think like average Joe should walk up the street and be like, well, I want to kill myself. And doctor's like, all right, here you go, sir. Drop that off at Walgreens. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Um, Oh, I think that there should be some sort of like, you know, I'm sure like there's a lot in place to keep people safe and make sure that it is what they want and that they're of sound mind and that it's not like a depression or, you know what I mean? Because I feel like those are like obviously circumstances where you wouldn't want someone to make a rash decision like that. But I think if you are able to jump through whatever hypothetical hoops they have and like, or like, you know, if you're just literally mentally sound and you're not depressed it's not like oh i'm so sad it's like no i'm just like i'm done living i don't want to watch my body deteriorate and then try to like get in for an appointment and be like oh well it's six months out or something because you know i mean i feel like a lot of things like this too are probably a long time in order to be able to get in and like get it it's not like you can make a same day same day 
appointment and just walk in and do it like off the street. So I think like, I don't know. I like that. It's called like the dying with dignity act or whatever, because it's like, I think that's like a fair way to put it being like, I like, you know, get to choose how I want to pass. And I think that's cool. And I think if you're in a situation like that, then it's probably nice for you to have that as an option. Instead of being told like, Oh no, you're just going to literally like, fall apart in front of family and friends and they're going to watch you like turn into a husk. Like that's awful. I would hate that. I would not want to do that personally. Right. Yeah. I think like having a checklist or prereqs is a good idea. Like, yeah. Have they sought therapy or like what did the therapist say? And then they can still like disagree, but making sure like things have been met. And then if, I mean, if we want to add a checklist, I think doctors would be pretty good at that anyway, but mm. it's not a bad idea. Yeah. Um, so as it stands, most death with dignity acts, they are fairly quick. It is a more of a quick decision. They have the checklist, but they only offer it to people who have a prognosis of six months or less to live. Mm. So, um, you know, they kind of have to rush through things. Do you guys think that leaves it open for falling through the cracks? for them just kind of signing off and saying, yeah, you know, give them what they want when really it's, it might be something completely different. I mean, doctors aren't perfect and they do make mistakes in their diagnoses and people all the time are told they have less time or more time to live than they actually do. Yeah. But I think if like you have two individual checks of doctors with a prognosis of less, less than six months and they want to go same day, like sure. Cause like less than six months, you're pretty close to like, quality of life being nothing if it's a terminal illness yeah and i think that's fair too is it's like and i don't know i mean it's just like my thing is it's like i don't know like i guess anyone at any point could like commit suicide fairly easily and like i think that because of that like obviously you don't have to like go to a doctor for this and do that i think like this is a good option because it means that you can like say goodbye to your family and friends and like do it on your terms you know what i mean it's not like someone's going to have to find your body. Like, you know, you can be prepared and have a day and like spend and like, like, I think it's good for like closure for your family and stuff too. If you are terminally ill, I think, I mean, even if like they were wrong, but like, I don't, okay. So like if someone that I knew was like, I want to do this, I'm terminally ill. Like, and then come to find out like later, it was like, Oh my God, they weren't terminally ill, but they passed away anyways. It's like, I would be happy knowing that they were happy though. Like they did what they wanted. And it's like, I'd much rather that than, risk the chance of like oh maybe they would have if they would have stayed alive like they would have been fine and they would have made a full recovery and it's like but what if they didn't and then they just kept getting worse and worse and worse and like were then you know died at lower than where they were like i wish i hope that like people that i love can die when they're in like a happy place and so if that means someone getting a pill and then like having the best last week of their life like doing every single thing they've ever wanted to do saying goodbye to everyone like leaving nothing left unsaid and then they pass away i would just be happy knowing that they were content and that they did what they wanted to do and that they were happy like you know because it's about what they want it's not about what i want it's a good way to look at it um i do think that's another argument someone could come up with is well what about the family and friends they are losing that time with that person that is someone that is now an emotional wreck and they might be, you know, advocates against it themselves if it's something that their family member went through because they feel gypped. But yeah, and that's totally fair. I think that's a very valid emotion it's, too. It's fair, but it's 
Yeah, yeah. unfortunately. Like, and I, I mean, I know that's a lot easier said than done. Like, obviously, personally, I haven't experienced this, but you know, when it comes to things like this, I think it's that person's choice and not yours. And you have to let them make the selfish decision. And it sucks. Like, don't get me wrong. It's not easy. And I would never say it's like easy to know a family member doesn't want to stick around. Like, you know, let's say like they expanded it. And it's like, oh, well, if you have like a terminal illness, you can get it at any time. And they're like, well, you made up five years. And they're like, no, I'm right now. Like, obviously, that'd be so hard to deal with. But like, I still believe like it's their choice. Just like it's it's their body. I don't get to make a decision for them about whether or not they want to do something. So coming at it from a religious perspective, do you think that since it is technically suicide, do you think that it's something that, you know, is technically a sin? Is it something that, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily think that people who kill themselves just go straight to hell. I think that's a little wild and I don't think that's, I don't know. Um, yeah. Do you think it's a challenge do you, that they, I don't know. How does that fit in with your religious viewpoints? Because there could be, maybe God's holding out for a miracle and he wants to use this whole thing to help you build up other people or you're going to be the first person to survive this and they're going to use your antibodies to, you know, help other people or whatever. And then you just end it and none of that comes to fruition. Do you guys have any sort of concerns about kind of playing God and choosing when you die? Or is it just, you know, we're trusting the doctors, we're trusting everything. There's no chance of a miracle and I'm going out. I mean, I think there's always like a chance of a miracle and like, it's just, it's so hard for me. Cause it's like the same thing as far as like, um, which is a topic I'm sure we'll broach eventually, but like abortions where it's like, I personally wouldn't get an abortion unless there were certain circumstances that were met. Like, you know, if I was sexually assaulted, like I would definitely debate it and, or maybe just go through with like getting an abortion early. But I don't know because it's like that doesn't mean though that I have the right to condemn other people for doing it and I think it's kind of similar to that to me where it's like I may not I mean I de definitely depends because like I don't know I've never been in a situation like where I've been terminally ill or like in pain or things like that and so it's like I can't say for certain that like I'd want to die I feel like I'd want to live but I mean I also don't know um but I think religiously like I'd assume like God gave you the option of free will and that includes like if you don't want to live anymore, I think that's kind of in your court. And I don't know, I don't necessarily believe that like suicide's a sin because I feel like a lot of people commit suicide because they're sad. And like, that'd be really fucked up if you get like fucked over and have to go to hell because you were like so desperately sad that you felt like you couldn't live anymore. And so I don't feel like, I feel like it's kind of like a similar situation where it's like, if you're like, cause a lot of times with terminal illness, especially if you're six months out, like Levi said, um, quality of life, it's like, you're probably in like a lot of physical pain and like not feeling good and like not doing well. And it's like, if you have chronic pain where every single day you're like awake and you're in pain and you can take pain meds, but then you're like not there. And like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know. I feel like if that's, I don't think God would want you to suffer on the off chance that there is a miracle that happens or something. I don't think like he would judge you for choosing to not live in the pain anymore. Well, and I don't think, I mean, I don't think God ever wants us to suffer necessarily, mm -hmm. but I do think that he, like you have to give him the chance to make something good out of it. 
And there's that concern that if you end it too early, you're taking away his chance to make something good out of it. Like whether that's, even if you die in the end, maybe it's somehow it affects a family member differently and they change their ways and, you know, or something like that, or I don't know. um, One of the nurses that you have towards the end ends up getting a promotion. I don't know. Like I'm just trying to. Thank goodness. Sally can get $2 more an hour. The glass half full. I know you're dying, but I get more money. <laughs> you're such a weird comparison, Nikki. Like, I see where you're coming from with everything else, but that one's a little weird. I'm just trying to think of like good things. I have some I points. Okay, Riley's got his hand raised. Okay, so first, the discussion that we've been having for the last five minutes is in regards strictly to personal opinion, right? Not legal ground. Yes. Yeah. Right, so that's fine, and then. Um, the other thing is, did you, in your reading, did you see anything about how life insurance handles that? No. I kind of wonder if they're like, nope, sorry, you elected to kill yourself. No, I don't know. I mean, I imagine it's a prescription, so it would have to be state by state and company by company and what they would decide to cover. Because, like, there are in, um, there are prescriptions that insurances refuse to cover, like Halcyon. It's a sleeping aid. We use it in the dental industry a lot. <laughs> um, the place that I used to work at um, to make patients a little more groggy, but insurance a more comfortable. Is, yeah, they, the dental location they're at. Yeah, <laughs> um, but they they don't cover it. Insurances just don't cover that drug for whatever reason. I think Riley's talking about life insurance, like getting money for dying. Not oh, like are you talking about life insurance? Oh, yeah, I, I imagine they would refuse it. I, mean, I was thinking, I don't like, think so, because if they're terminal and you're going to die anyway, I mean, you might have to have a discussion with the company, but it seems yeah, like the same to me. Insurances are skeevy and they try to find little cut arounds wherever they can. I'm not so, arguing with that point. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I feel like they wouldn't, but I also think that that's something that they'd get screwed over with their medical insurance, where I don't think their medical insurance would cover that drug. And how much is that drug going to cost? Oh, no, I can't afford this. Yeah, she died unexpectedly. It goes on your family, though. Put it on the credit card. <laughs> if you want to leave me and your son with, you know, a bunch of debt over this prescription pill, babe. You can just declare bankruptcy. Oh, thanks. Just yeah, declare it. And declare bankruptcy That's in the same week. What all the cool kids do. Um, did you have any other points that you wanted to do right now? Oh, I mean, little things. I agree with Alyssa that, um, what was it she was saying? Yeah, that, that I don't think that suicide is something that really is a, you know, one-way ticket to hell. I don't either. I think I can't understand how that would be. I also don't think that we have the ability to play God, which is perhaps a not as straightforward opinion. That's interesting. I think that everything we can do is free game and God intends for us to play with it. We're just in sandbox. Even our own genetic material. I think I could like definitely see that point, Riley, where it's like, if God is going to work a miracle and he knows that you're going to do that, I think he can still work his miracle. Or maybe like work it differently. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think just because you're not around anymore or whatever he had planned is no longer going to happen. I think he would have to change it 
I yeah. Imagine. Because they like, I don't know. I'm sure he, he makes, he can make good out of everything bad. And I think he does yeah. his best and it just depends on, you know, people's reactions to the bad situation. Totally. Uh, so, I mean, I don't think that that's, I'm just trying to give other opinions. As oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Don't worry. You're good. Um, do you guys think that it can be too strict, the rules for dealing with this? Like, do you think the process can be too long and drawn out? Or do you think it's okay for it to be long and drawn out because you are ending your life? Um, I'm sure that there's cases where it's too long and drawn out. I wouldn't doubt that there's been times when, like, while waiting for it, someone died. <laughs> because it can be drawn out. Like, I'm sure people have died waiting for it. And so, like... I mean, obviously, I don't know the exact steps, but I assume it can get to a point where, like, yeah, it's like, well, you need to get cleared by this, and you have to get cleared by this, and you have to get cleared by this. I was like, I'm sure that they could make it to where, like, getting appointments like that could take months to do. And I don't think it's like that currently. I'm just saying I could see that becoming a problem. Right. Hmm. I feel like six months is actually a little long. Like, the concept of physician-assisted suicide, I feel like makes a lot of sense if you're a week out, maybe a month out, maybe seeing the signs and the pains of rehabilitation. That's kind of when I think that's okay. Most people deteriorating who are a week out from death are not there anymore. They're like way gone. They've been on hospice for like a month. That's usually how that goes with like, you know, people old with cancer and stuff. If someone has seen that, like, it's not like you're... <laughs> It's not like you're happy and like living life until like a week and then they're like, oh yeah, you got a week left and then you're going to die. And then they like lay down. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's brutal for like the last couple months. Well, I can see where Riley's coming from because it feels like, like we've had Rowan for a lot longer than we have. And he's only been around for five months, which like simultaneously feels like, oh my gosh, he's already five months old. He's so old, but it feels like we have had him forever. You talking about the artist previously known as Fetus? Yeah. <laughs> no, and so I'm just saying, I can see where you're coming from. That six months seems like a long time. But I imagine when you're in that state, it's it's even longer and it's harder. And well, they probably also do that to allow for time to get through the bureaucracy part of like if there's any checks of getting a mental health appointment. You know, <laughs> some providers for mental health are like four to six weeks out. Mm -hmm. If you have to get an appointment first and get evaluated and then back another with your primary like i can see why they would say six months out like if so that's the start of the process the current guidelines are two physicians must confirm the patient's residency diagnosis prognosis mental competence and voluntariness of the request that is a quote um there are two waiting periods the first between the oral request the second between receiving and filling the prescription which are required um so it is a long drawn out process. That being said, it doesn't mention that they have to speak to a psychiatrist or a therapist. It just says they need to have their prognosis and mental health and everything checked out by two physicians. Yeah. And so that means two physicians have to give their okay. If they don't want to give their okay, they're going to say you need to go to a, a mental health expert. But, you know, it's in the hands of two independent doctors. I think it's pretty reliable that they're not going to get two doctors that just sign off on anything. That's fair. I do think that a lot of doctors, they rely on the checklists 
way too much. Um, I have gotten depression medication just based off of a checklist. I've gotten depression medication just by going in and saying that I've been on depression medication before. And Riley was able to get on uh, Adderall just based off of his checklist. I feel like a lot of doctors do. And I've, you know, been to what, like four or five different doctors that have just given me medication without actually checking my history or without, um, going off of anything other than the little checklist things, which are very easy to fake. You obviously see which ones you should be checking to get the right result. I mean, seems to me like antidepressants and anti ADHD medication might be a little different than dead, dead pills. I mean, Adderall's That's true. Amphetamines are no big deal. Adderall is heavily regulated because it is an amphetamine. Yeah, and, but I'm saying from a doctor's perspective, I think they're going to take it a little lighter than a suicide mm-hmm. pill. I mean, what if the second doctor is like, well, the first doctor thought he was good? Then I think most of the time, you know, it would uh, <laughs> the person wants it anyway, and they, they know what they are doing. That second independent check is just to weed out that oddball that maybe a second doctor would catch something. And if you know, they happen to get two doctors that you know don't really care and are just willing to sign off, the odds are the person wants to do it anyway and is like in sound of mind and would pass all the checks. So, yeah, I mean, again, it's like <laughs> you can kill yourself a hundred different ways. Why not like let them kill themselves with a pill? Like, you don't need two different doctors to check up to give you, you know, the medications for mental health, like you said, like depression or ADHD. And that's right. a big part of it, I'm sure, is like, they want to make sure that if there's something to catch, it's just a double redundancy thing. I wonder what the policy is on that. Because if you're, you know, coming from a family of doctors and you want to kill yourself, surely there's some sort of conflict of interest if your brother and his twin are like, he's good to go. That is jugular. I mean, it doesn't That's what they do it here. I mean, it just says two physicians. I don't know if the laws are specifically written of, like, it can't be your family members. I'm sure. If they... I imagine that the family members wouldn't, because if it did come down to a legal dispute, mm. then that would be highly disputable. Is it two out of two? You just keep hitting physicians up until two of them agree. It's just, I think you should keep records. Must confirm. But that draws it out, too, because you do have to think that if you see your normal doctor and they've gone through all the testing and everything, and then you go to a second one who's never seen your history, they're likely going to want to do their own testing all over again. Yeah. And so it is going to draw it out for several months, especially with the extra waiting periods, the oral request, the second one with the between when you receive and fill the prescription, you have to wait. Um, I don't know how long those are. I'm not diving because they, they don't usually run their own tests. What they would do is like look at the test results and make their own prognosis because usually tests are done by lab. It's not a doctor's opinion. So the results can take a while to go over, but like most tests don't need to be repeated, especially I imagine in this circumstance, the patient would (laughs) want to give over all the records and the doctor would want to see everything that's pertinent to this because, you know, like they would want to see x-rays of the tumors and instead of ordering new x-rays for no reason, it's like nothing's going to change there, but they're going to want to look at them by themselves. Yeah. In my experience, when I've had to go through like all my heart stuff, my primary care doctor and the hospital that I went through both did their own tests. They were the same tests. It was EKGs and other things. 
Well, uh, stuff you get AQG depending on the time of day and what your heart's doing, and yeah. That but also, sense. they wanted to do um, two different of the like wearing the ones. What are they? The halter monitors. Yeah. Um, and that was just based off of the doctors. And I mean, I had they did. Oh golly, what other tests did they do? Because there was one where I went into my my primary care and they did like three or four tests. They did some of the same blood work as the OB when they were looking into it. I mean, from my experience, just with something little like that, they absolutely ordered all different. They didn't just look at what the other ones had ordered. First of all, I don't think that was a little problem. <laughs> they take huh. pretty seriously. I see what you mean, but like even that whole process, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure you fit all that into six months and, you know, with heart stuff, yeah, I mean, because things can change, but I think, you know, the primary reason here would probably be heart conditions or cancer would probably outweigh it by at least some sort of margin. Yeah. So, I, know. I mean, there's not many more tests you can do to confirm cancer is going to kill you soon, but like with heart stuff, I could see, but I mean, even if they did want to do their own independent tests, if you're terminally like got a death sentence from a heart disorder, I would imagine like you've already had heart surgery and they've tried everything like, right. Even if they wanted to do more tests, like uh, I would think you could get that done within six months. But I think so too. Maybe. I would also, I feel like it would be a concern if they didn't do their own tests because then they can be held accountable for, Oh, well this person did a test and it looked like it was this and we didn't retest. I mean, Mom has experience too, where she went in for um, a her like annual. What is it called when they squish your boobs? Mammogram. Mammogram. She went in for that, and um, the nurse came out and told her that there was a a large lump of some sort, and they thought you know that it could be really bad, like really really bad. And Mom was sitting in the the waiting room, freaking out, and. They redid the tests and, you know, it turned out it was just a skin fold. But, I mean, can you imagine going to a different office and being like, oh, well, we're looking at those results. We don't know exactly what was ordered or who did it. And we're just going to go based off of this that we didn't order or anything like that. And that, I mean, that could be a huge liability on that's on a dog. But that's why nurses aren't allowed to give a prognosis. It's because they didn't take the time to look at it or anything. And good nurses won't tell you any results premature before the doctor. That's why it's frustrating when you, you know, if something's ever wrong in like an ultrasound with a baby, they're going to like, oh, well, we got to talk to your doctor about something. They're never going to tell you, oh, it looks like something's wrong like this because I mean, you didn't go to those extra million years of school <laughs> after credentials to say it. And I think like a doctor's prognosis is much more trustable. Sure, they can still get it wrong. And I think like doing independent tests is a good idea but like i don't think in in this case of physician's assistant suicide would always be necessary because it's like what i mean in the end goal what are you trying to confirm oh the cancer is you know one inch smaller than you know the other person measured it i think it's mainly just to confirm like yeah you're not gonna make it through this yeah we're not gonna heal you and so i i don't know where would you guys like someone has like a really terrible chronic pain and they have exhausted their options and are just like in constant pain where do you land on that 
I think if it's serious, I think <laughs> maybe our medical system should be a little bit different where <laughs> they could actually get help that's needed to stop the pain <laughs> and not just, uh, yeah, I guess that one didn't work. So uh, see ya. That's fair. But like, would you be okay with someone going in and a doctor being able to prescribe them that medication? No, because there's still a way out of it. What's the way out? Like, how, though? Like, if you used all the pain medications and, like, they just stopped working? There's literally always something. It's just if you can afford it or not. Yeah, if you can afford it, you can afford a pill to be dead. That's just saying something about our society. (laughs) I gotta... You guys can marinate on this for a second. I have to go get Ember. Shut up. You guys' kid's super loud. Please keep that under wraps. (laughs) I think in the situation with the pitch that there's no way of stopping it and it's permanent pain for the rest of their life that's severe, then I would think that that'd be okay. Yeah, I think if they've exhausted every single option, if there's if they literally don't have another choice other than just being in pain, but I guess if you've got nerves on fireitis where every nerve in your body is pain. Right, like there's no way to stop it, like yeah. <laughs> but then I fall under some sort of chronic illness or you probably would. I don't know. I would I think to feel like the most case well that's what's hard with pain too, is like where a lot of the thing with opiates is what a big thing in this uh opiate pandemic is like people you can't tell someone they're not in pain. Yeah. So we have to find a balance where like someone can just walk into the air and say, oh, my pain's a 10. And they're like, well, no, it's not. But you can't really actually say, no, it's not, because you can't feel someone's pain. So things get kind of tricky with that. But what's that? like if everything's perfect, I, obviously, and there is no way to stop the pain. Right. Like, and it's not a chronic illness, which like, I mean, maybe there's something out there that does that. I guess I could see that. Right. But I think that in the real world, that's not not like a great example. I think it's funny um, in the dental industry, there are a lot of people, a lot of patients who come in and, you know, a lot of addicts have awful teeth. So they always have something wrong, but they come in specifically because dentists can prescribe uh, Norco. So hydrocodone and Tylenol mix basically, and other things as well. And they'll come in for it and, um, you know, we'll see signs that they have teeth that are need to be extracted or so infected or whatever. Yeah. You can technically justify it, but then they never come back for treatment. Yep. And then they come in the next time because they ran out and they need more. And oh my goodness. And it's been a, I, the doctors I worked with, it was a, challenge for them in times because it's like okay well you could really be in pain but this is your third time and then telling them like okay we can't prescribe it again without doing treatment but then there was one doctor who would and that was always so annoying because (laughs) one of the other doctor's patients came in when that doctor was working and said I'm in pain and there is a note on the patient's chart saying do not give Norco they need to do treatment and the other doctor gave that patient Norco. <laughs> it's not even his patient. There's specifically a note saying, do not give it to them. 
and they did it anyways. I think that's on the negligence of the doctor then. Oh my gosh. It was, it was ridiculous. We were all pissed about it, but, um, Alyssa, I wanted to go back to your comment of, um, of like, do you, do you blame the clerk? I think it's different. It's kind of like bartenders can be blamed if they give someone too much to drink mm-hmm. and then they let them drive. Um, if you overserve and there's an issue there, you can be held liable for letting that person leave so intoxicated. Um, yes, it's the person's, the customer's decision to get in their car and drive and then possibly crash and kill someone or whatever. But the bartender can be held responsible. And I think that that's the same sort of thing for the doctor. But I think doctors also should be responsible for creating opioid addictions because sometimes they put patients on that they can do other things for and they don't. They just do the easy route. Yeah. And And that's a big problem, too, with people that have chronic pain is it's like it's really easy to get an addiction. I'll be right back. Babies are really a handshake in this one, aren't they? They really are. They're like, all right, pass it off. I don't know. I think it's a weird situation. But um, ultimately, the person that's requesting it probably knows their circumstances best. So I don't know if it's really a problem that needs fixing, if that's kind of the root of the issue. For sure. Um, so I guess my last question on this is would you guys ever do you think you would go through physician assisted suicide if you were terminally ill i think oh sorry oh and you just you um you were told you've got four months to live you're already feeling some of the effects they're not great um you can take an easier way out than going through some of the terrible things or, you know, being on meds the rest of the time. Um, so when I was looking at that website that you actually mentioned, they said that I guess you can get the prescription and you don't have to take it. They said one in three people on average, on average don't end up taking it. It's just like an option in case you decide you do want to. I'm going to shove it down your throat. Well, I know, but like I thought like you have like, I don't know, like a set amount of time that you had to take it in or something. Like, no, it's just like you can like literally just have that like in your cabinet and choose to never take it. It's like I'm not against it because I think like, yeah, I think I don't. The pharmacist just shoves it down your throat. Well, I didn't know. I thought you had to be in an office to make sure you were the one taking it and not like a random person. Oh, that's a fair point, too. Cause like if you just have a pill, like anyone could just like like rob your house and take your pill and then like or you get it because someone wants to commit suicide or you want to kill someone. Like, <laughs> well, it's two different things put together. But yeah, but I mean, if you have like a victim in your house and like you want to kill them, like just saying, like I thought you <laughs> We're had to going take down it. the movie or something. I'm, I'm sure it's happened. I Sounds thought good. it was like you had to take it like in the office. <laughs> You were ready like they prescribe it to you and then you're ready you like come in and take it so that they can like monitor you that's fair but no <laughs> like you can take it at home or whatever you want and so it's like i could definitely see like taking it as an option because like they said in that on that website they were like talking about how it's like for a lot of people it's just the peace of mind of knowing you have an option and i think because for me i think if things started to get really bad yeah like i just want to have like a, a last week and be like, let me like say goodbye. Let me tell everyone how much I love them. Let me do fun things. 
and then I can die peacefully and I don't have to like, I don't want my family to watch me like turn into like a husk of my old self where like I don't recognize anyone and I'm not waking up and I'm on all these monitors and stuff. Like I'd much rather be able to like say goodbye to you guys the way I want to. So I think for me, like it'd be something I'd consider. Yeah. I would like, I don't know for sure if I would or wouldn't. And I think it would probably, my opinion would probably change a lot if I was terminally ill. Like I might be like, hell no, I'm fucking riding this bitch out to the end, you know, and like have no interest in doing it, but it's hard to know. So I think I would definitely consider it as of right now, not being terminally ill. I consider it an option, but like, I don't think it'd be like, oh yeah, like fucking you tell me I got six months to live. I'm going right now. Like that's not what I would do. Right. I'd consider it. I think um, if I could realistically time it to around a week out or two weeks out or past the point of me being a husk of a person and, and you were okay with it, I'd do it. Levi? Um, I mean, I'd keep the option on the table, but I don't think I would. Yeah. I think I feel the same way as Levi, where I, I really, really don't think I'd do it. I think I would feel insanely guilty the entire time. Um, I think, well, not to cut you off, but um, just like, I think experiencing death is part of life. So like, kind of be willing to write it out for that, I guess. Yeah. At least as far as I think of it now. Like, who knows if it's in your mind or not, but I think maybe... That's it's, it's something I've thought a lot about in the past. I guess I'm like probably far too young for that, but like going through death process, I think makes you, or I would at least like to think it would make you welcome death into a peace. Right. You know, and I, I think it would be too hard for me, honestly, to like schedule my death. That's fair. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I think that's another point where I struggle too is I'm not afraid of death, but I am afraid of the process of dying. And so I think making that come sooner, like I I could handle being sick, I think. Um, And I could handle being dead, but that in between where it's happening is terrifying to me. Yeah. And I don't think I could take the pill knowing that that's the end. I think I'd be anxious, I, but I would leave it open because yeah. you know how you feel when you're terminally ill and how much pain you're in and what you're willing to go through or not do or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. I'm not in a situation like that. So I can't say for sure. Yeah. From what I read about the medications is an extreme sleep medication puts you in like a crazy deep sleep. And then I guess right before you fall asleep, you take the second dose, which is like a huge depressant of your body systems and like slows your heart rate and breathing down to the point where they're gone and you're already in a deep sleep. So, but yeah, like, I mean, I imagine after you take the pill and you're waiting for the sleep, you're like, that sounds like an anxiety thing. Oh Oh my God, I regret it. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah, I could see like that being, and I don't, think you'd necessarily feel that way but yeah. i could see being anxious about feeling that way being like oh shit no like i changed my mind i don't want to do this <laughs> i get anxiety even thinking about it now like i've legitimately anxious 
just thinking about that process and like, oh my God. Yeah, it's, it feels like being snuffed out. Ugh, not even that. It's just the process of the in-between. Like after it's all said and done, I don't feel anxious about that part. You're trapped waiting for it. Yeah. I think to me, that makes it like less because I, it's funny because my anxiety goes the opposite direction where it's like, oh, I don't have to be like anxious about like, well, when am I going to die? Am I going to know that I'm dying? What is it going to feel like? It's going to be like, I'm just going to go to sleep. I can do that. Like, fuck, I can go fucking sleep. Hell yeah. Like, that's a great way to go. (laughs) So, like, for me, I go the opposite direction with my anxiety where it's like, I would feel anxious being like, well, I'm terminally ill. When's the day that I die? And like, like obviously I wouldn't take it right away. Like I personally, but it's like the progression of being like, no, I think like I'm ready. And like, I just, that's why I think it's like nice that it's an option. And like, it's not like once you take it or like, once you get it, like I said, you don't have to like schedule your doctor's office visit to be like, okay, now's a good day to die. Like, you can just like today was a good day. I'm ready to go. And like, just fucking take it then, you know, it's not, you're not forced to take it at any specific time or anything. And I think that's, Kind of lovely because I think that would be nice to be like, all right, I'm ready. Like, night, y'all. <laughs> I'm deucing. Fair. <laughs> all right. Well, that was our discussion on physician assisted suicide. If you guys have any thoughts, let us know. Yeah. Kind of a darker subject, but you know. Yeah. Well, I'll put some trigger warnings maybe in the description to. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of discussion of suicide. Yeah. Yeah, it comes with the territory. Yeah, just put a whole big trigger warning. The whole thing's a trigger warning. It's all a trigger warning. Don't listen to this episode. (laughs) No, don't say that. If you got to this point, Vivian, don't listen to this episode. (laughs) Yeah, Vivian, turn it off now, quick. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. Check out our socials, and we will be back next week with hopefully something less depressing. (laughs) You know me, always picking the depressing topics. You guys like, well, you know, SN11 blew up, so it's a sad day in space history. <laughs> teaser, teaser. <laughs> Anyways, we will talk to you guys next week. Oh, goodbye. Bye. Bye.